Welcome back to my channel, guys. Thank you for joining today's podcast. I've got two amazing guests. My first guest, who's already in the waiting room, waiting to join us, John Stapleton, an authentic entrepreneur. I love the word authentic. He really is uh, quite the inspiration. He's got some amazing stories to share and some insights to share with us today. Of course, you guys, as always, can ask questions. We'll be here to answer them. I'm going to bring John on in a minute. Just before I do, a reminder, you know, we are here to help 1 million people start a business of their own. This year, we've helped 72 people so far. I'm very proud of that number. I know it's not a big number, but we'll get there. What I'm really excited about is how the community that are interested in helping people start businesses of their own is building. You guys, without you, I don't think we can do it. No one can achieve this mission to ensure that all these talented people out there that can't find a job right now can create one for themselves. We can't do it without your help. So thanks so much. I can see so many of the very loyal fans here already. So thanks for joining. I hope you get some insight today. Um, if you want to listen to this week's um, Good Luck Club podcast, we interviewed the founder of Manise Bank. He's the CEO, fantastic individual, Norris Capel. His story is mind-blowing. He has over two and a half million daily users of his bank, and he, he, he now owns his own bank. He created it from his mind to reality based on the problem that he had. His immigrant story is fan absolutely fantastic. I think you guys will be inspired and maybe even want to go and start your own bank when you hear um, what he's achieved. So everyone told him it wasn't possible to start a bank, and he, he proved them wrong, and, and now he's a challenger bank. A lot of the big uh, institutional banks are very worried about what he's doing because he's focusing on you, the customer. And I think you will find his story absolutely fascinating. So go listen to that, goodluckpod.com. Of course, you can also get the links throughout my uh, channels as well. We have um, a couple of really interesting things coming up. We're going to be trying a Discord event. So you guys that probably know what that technology is. We'll be trying a Discord event on Thursday. So tomorrow, hope you guys can join that too. And of course, um, we have... Uh, our 12 days of Christmas insights. So every single day throughout December, we have a different insight, how to raise money, how to start a company with no money, how to build a brand or a business, all of these sorts of things, all free right here on this channel. So let's get to the main event today. Uh, let me bring my first guest on, John, who will, uh, will introduce himself and tell, him, tell us a little bit about what he's up to. Hey, John, how are you doing? Simon, delighted to be part of this. Thanks for inviting me on. How are you? Good. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have have you here. I, I, I was a fan of yours ever since we both joint judged at the Pitch UK event. So big shout out to those guys. But I'm a big fan now, uh, John. So tell, tell my audience that don't know you a little bit about what you're about. Right. we got 30 minutes, Simon, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Listen, uh, I, can, I, I can do it in probably three minutes. But basically, I've been involved in food and drink all my life, yeah? Back in 1987, we set up New Covent Garden Soup Company. Yeah, basically, soup in a carton. Where are you? Can you see that? Yeah, there, there we go. Yeah, we were the first ones to make fresh soup, believe it or not, back in 1987. Uh, a guy called Andrew Palmer, uh, whose idea it was, and myself got together and thought, you know, basically, we got so many questions with so many answers that we really couldn't figure out. So we thought the only way we could do answer these questions is by doing it ourselves. So we set up the business, and, and I suppose to a certain extent, the rest is history. But we were the first to make fresh soup, put it in the carton, sell it on the retailer shelves, 87 to 1998. Um, and uh, I had kind of itchy feet at that point. We sold the business in 1998, and I was already thinking about what to do next, which is similar but different, which is basically taking fresh soup in a carton to the U.S. market. So we were going to put fresh soup in a carton again and, and sell it in the States and do it all out there. And I, I brought some of the shareholders with me, but really set up a new business out there in the States, 
Unfortunately, it didn't work. You, you, you kind of think that, you know, if anybody knows about fresh soup, I do. But despite all that, it didn't work. And, uh, you know, so I came back from that experience with my sort of table to my legs trying to figure out what I want to do next. But I am, by the way, a great believer that, you know, you learn an awful lot more from your failures in life than you do from your successes. And, and, and Glencoe Foods, which was our second business, certainly was a failure, certainly in comparison to Newcomer Garden. Um, and I said about them basically proving to, I suppose, everybody, but really to myself, that, uh, that, that that failure wasn't what I was going to go out on. I wanted to do it again. And that's where the third business idea came from, which is, again, based in, in, um, in the UK, although I now live in Germany since I came back from the States. So I've been here quite a bit. I'm in Germany today. A company called Little Dish. It's all about healthy, convenient, tasty meals for kids, uh, young kids, not babies, but toddlers. Um, and uh, we also added a range of snacks later as well. I sold the business in 2017 to a U.S. Uh, private equity firm. And since then, I've been kind of, you know, fingers and lots of pies, mostly in the, in the, in the food industry. So I'm in food and drink is what I do. I, 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 I mentor uh, upcoming entrepreneurs in the food and drink space. I advise businesses in early stage and, and also further along up to exit. Uh, and I invest in some businesses too. So very quickly, there's a couple here that I just got examples of. Your Nicks and Kicks is one. It's a range of, um, of, of it's really cool, refreshing adult soft drink below the sugar threshold. So no no sugar of any of any quantity in there at all. Uh, tastes great. Had a relaunch just recently, rebrand. Um, there's a couple, the business called Capsicana, which is a, a range of Latin American sauces and other flavor flavor products. Challenger brand is what I do most really. And one I've invested in recently, a company called Insane Grain. I'd love to talk to you about that as well a bit later on because that has purpose written all over it. And I'd love to get involved in in businesses that are all about purpose, as you do. So, yeah, lots to talk about, but maybe we'll just take it in bite-sized chunks, eh? Amazing. And, uh, you know, I haven't had lunch. So when you're, when you're showing all those snacks, I wish uh, people would invent a TV screen where I could just reach in and just just yeah. eat those things. So, awesome. Um, I, I, I'm always interested in people's stories. Were, were, were you always entrepreneurial? How, did, it, did it naturally come to you, or did you train yourself? What, what's... Were your parents entrepreneurs? How did it play out? That's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, and I get at this, at this sometimes. And, and the, the best answer, the short answer is, I grew up on a farm in the west of Ireland. There's two, two sort of answers, really. But I grew up on a farm in the west of Ireland. And um, nothing unusual about that, right? But, but basically, when you grow up on a farm, you're surrounded by food. You, know? you, you do know where food comes from because it's the, it's the cows in the field, frankly, and it's the milk, and it's the grain. And it's, you know, it's just like food is all around you. So I was very much aware of food. Um, and then secondly, I took up track and field when I went to university or when I went to, to school and university. So I did a lot of track and field. So I was very interested way, way, way back then before it was any way kind of fashionable at all to understand the relationship between, between food and diet and elite athletes' performance. You know, I, I was thinking about these sort of things way back then. And I kind of thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could combine my, my hobby with, with some sort of a career? You know, that, that would be the best ever. Um, but, you know, Ireland in the 80s was all about, you know, there wasn't much going on. It was, it was a deep recession. So I was kind of thinking I had to be practical and figure out, you know, what would, uh, what would pay the bills and what would be a career. But guess what? Food and drink is the basic, you know, it's one of the basics, right? You know, everybody is going to have to eat and drink right into the future. To a certain extent, and I don't like saying this, but food and drink has become a bit of a, you know, pandemic, pandemic resistant industry, right? It's, it's done quite well because we all have to eat and drink. So, you know, that wasn't going to be a fad. It wasn't going to go out of fashion. So I felt pretty confident doing that. But as regards being an entrepreneur, I couldn't spell the word entrepreneur, really. I, I, I came out of university, met Andrew, like I said, and he was the archetypal entrepreneur. I learned a huge amount from him. Um, but, you know, I think what I'd say in hindsight is that actually growing up on a farm prepares you quite well. I don't think maybe, you know, people think of farmers as entrepreneurs necessarily. 
but they do, uh, you know, they have a they have a very action focused um, focus on life, very down to earth. A lot of things happen to them that's outside of their control, like you know, like bad harvests happen and stuff comes from left left to right without them knowing it. And, and that's kind of like the world that we live in as entrepreneurs, as business leaders. You know, things happen all the time. So I think even from the age of six to, to, to 12 to 15, I was experiencing stuff that was very kind of second nature to me that, that really stood me in good stead for business life later as an entrepreneur. Now, that's without a huge amount of hindsight, okay? But, but, but I certainly can recognize that. So, so that's how I'd answer that question, Simon. Mm. It's a good point about food. I mean, it doesn't matter. We, we all need food. I guess a lot of the time, I think people who have ideas around food, a lot of my listeners have ideas, uh, and, and a lot of the time they're around food products. It feels like a very daunting industry to get into, though. Even though everyone needs to eat, I guess that's why there's a lot of products out there that supply that, that solution. Um, is there anything you look for in particular when it comes to, you mentioned purpose there, which is, which is awesome, but is there anything in particular you look for in, within a, a product? Is it the people behind the product, or, or is it the product? Is it both, or is it something else? Yeah, yeah. It took me, it take me a while to figure this out, actually. Um, like most things in life, to be to be honest. But um, I, I, I'm pretty sure I have the answer pretty down now because I do a lot of investing myself, and I'm part of Mission Ventures, by the way, which is kind of a, a kind of a, I suppose, formalized version of what I do myself in terms of getting involved in, in, in early stage food and drink, particularly uh, early stage ventures and figuring out who you put your money behind or who you put your effort behind because we're an accelerator really we, we help we help them spend the investment wisely um, and it comes down to three things I've distilled it down to three things anyway number one is and it's kind of sound really obvious but it's the product and does the product do what it says on, says on the tin because in, in FMCG and in food and drink in particular we're all about building a brand right and that's what I've done you know Newcomer Gardens a brand Little List was a brand the businesses I'm involved with right now are all brands and that's where the value is and that's the exciting bit of it, really. But the brand makes a promise. Brand, first of all, identifies who your target audience is. Yeah, you have to have a target audience. You have to very much know who you're selling to. If you say you're selling to everybody, you'll end up selling to nobody, right? That's, that's unfortunately what happens. So you've got to be very focused on who you're communicating with. But the brand communicates to the consumer, your target audience, what's inside the, the pack. And that promise that the product's going to really do something for them. That, they, that they've never experienced before, right? But the product absolutely has to deliver. If you've got to make that promise, you've got to be able to deliver it in spades. So the product is key. It's got to really do what you're proposing it does, yeah? Number one. Number two, and you touched on it yourself, is the entrepreneur. It is absolutely the entrepreneur. Sometimes I say the entrepreneur is number one, but 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 yeah, you have to have a product. Um, it's so it's so important though that the entrepreneur knows what they're doing, and you know not that we ever knew what we were doing when we started off, but we knew what we didn't know, and we were open to figuring figuring things out. Resilience is 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 a word that's thrown around quite a bit, but it's so important. I mean, entrepreneurs need to grow a thick skin, and they need to get up every time they're knocked down, and you'd be knocked down every single time, every single day almost. Um, and they have to be smart about about their resources, and they have to be smart about what they focus on. Um, but ultimately. You know they have to be coachable as well and, and i'm not trying to say i have all the answers in fact i definitely don't have all the answers but if i provide some advice what i like to get is some feedback to say okay we'll do that or on the other hand pushback pushback is equally good in fact it's probably better so long as it's pushback with some reasoning behind it and justification that the, the entrepreneur says actually i don't think we should be doing that we should be doing this instead and the reason is the following and it's a good reason that i go you know what that's a great idea let's do some more of that so the product and the entrepreneur are key, and then ultimately the, the the business has to be has to be scalable. There has to be enough people out there that's going to want to part their with their money for this product. 
And if you're talking about brands, you're typically talking about premium brands. I certainly was in, 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 in my day, and, and, and I, I like to focus on premium brands today. So, like, you know, if you're talking about introducing this into the market, which is three times the price of a can, you know, you need to be able to say, okay, that's a premium product, but will enough people buy it? So you have to have a wide enough audience. Having said it's a target audience is defined. There has to be enough of them. So mm. products, for all the reasons I mentioned, the entrepreneur or the team, number two, and number three, a sustainable business that is, you know, that, that, that can, you can grow into the future, it's scalable. Mm. And everything else can be wrong and you can pretty much put it right. But if those three are wrong or one of those three are wrong, you've got a problem. Mm. Fascinating. Good lessons there for people to listen to if they're if they're looking to pitch to an investor, um, what what they need to have. I I think resilience, as you say, is so important. I think with resilience you can learn all the things you don't learn don't know over time. But if you don't have resilience, you give up too quick and you don't learn everything. So it's such a good point. The other thing I, I wanted to just pick up on you said earlier about failure. I mean, it said a lot. You know, failure. You learn a lot from failure, but no one wants to fail, right? But what were your lessons? You know, so people don't have to go to America and try and launch a soup brand and fail. Maybe to share with them what you learned so that they don't go and do that. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty extravagant way to figure that out. I, I agree. I agree. I could have figured it out before I went, couldn't I? Um, yeah. But 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 I think I, I think the juxtaposition of 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 the product is basically okay. There are lots of differences in the states. Don't get me wrong, right? And, and listen, the, the the you know the 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 US is littered with failure failed successful UK businesses that went to the states and failed. You know, like mm -hmm. Tesco went. And failed, and Green Corps went and failed, uh, but we, we we went and failed, and and uh, you know, in terms of the lessons learned, I mean, the the biggest lesson learned learned is 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 to learn from failure, is to allow yourself to learn to learn from failure. You know, I mean, make no mistake, you cannot make a career out of failure, right? That that's 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 clearly not you know a recipe for success by definition, but mm. but but allowing yourself to fail, I think, it brings you huge benefits. There's no question about it. You know, success is a lousy teacher. People have said that to me so many, so many times. And and it's so true because, you know, you don't really always know what's causing the success. You're, you're typically pulling on that lots of different levers at the same time. You know, you're never mm. going to a business and saying, I'm going to try this mm. and see if it works. And mm. if it doesn't work, oh, then I'll try something else. Mm. No, you're trying everything that you think is going to contribute to, to the success. Mm. And sometimes you're successful and you're just running to, to stand still, like with Little Dish, excuse me. Well, Little Dish also, actually, both, both businesses. Well, Newcomer Garden in particular, we had a tiger by the tail. So we're trying to keep up with it all the time. We didn't have time to think about what was really successful. We're just doing it. Mm. Um, but, 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 you know, failure is, you're, you're left an awful lot more exposed when failure happens, you know, and especially when the expectation, when I went out there, you know, I, I brought people together. I brought shareholders together. I, I went out and spoke to retailers and they said, look, this is what happened in the UK. We can make the same thing happen here. And I, I brought people together. And build a team and you know all that kind of was you know i let them all down i certainly felt like that um, when 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 it didn't work so i think the point about it is in essence you know it's failure is not a great place to be but it's a good place to have been mm -hmm. because it makes sure that you never want to be there again mm -hmm. yeah a failure hurts like hell that's that's the that's the thing about it that's why nobody wants to go there mm -hmm. but, but but you know i i then eventually when i figure things out and Dusted myself off with the U.S. experience, came 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 back to Europe and decided, you know, the only way I could deal with the failure was to prove that that it was a one-off and that you know, I, you know, it happens um, and not dwell on it and not because your mind is, you know, introspection kicks in and your mind plays all sorts of tricks on you and it says, you know, were you the reason it failed or or actually was New Covent Garden a success despite you or you know all sorts of things you think, and that's not true, but you know, it's just it's just not true. So the only way to prove that to yourself is 
get back in the saddle and and try it again and and i guess that's where the inspiration and the motivation came from to to to, to do it all again and, yeah. and try something that that i could prove a success and you know luckily happily it worked out yes it's a great formula as well like you know the, the kind of experienced entrepreneur investing in the next generation of food product entrepreneurs that's a real good mix because i know i know myself like i've done 18 startups i, I don't think i necessarily want to do another one but i love helping other people do it and and so there's, there's something really interesting in that dynamic do you um do you i mean it wasn't there was no obvious thing like you went to california with hot soup and no one drank hot soup it was it just a combination of things it wasn't there wasn't a particular uh, particular learning it was just a combination of things wasn't it it was like all these things when something big works or doesn't work it's a combination of factors yeah mm. and and i know it, it you know we we did a lot right we we flew soup we made soup in harleston in north london in in our mm. factory and flew it on virgin airlines and i'm not kidding you we flew it on virgin airlines out to the states to both california and and to new jersey and we had a man in a van driving around selling the soup uh, to, to find out what we needed to find out to find out mm. what was different to find out what worked um to understand the dynamics of the retail trade there to you know flavor combinations you know it's it's a bit different to you know we call it tomato and basil and they call it tomato and basil well that's yeah. true but a lot more to it than that so we want to really understand all that so we've got a lot right and we also had enough customers to 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 to, to be interested in you know the, the the thing is if you don't have any customers you have to pack up pretty quickly and go home don't you because you think oh well that was a waste of time but we had enough customers to keep us keep us excited and keep us interested and that that, that was the thing that kept us going we just didn't mm -hmm. have enough um, and I, a number of things happened outside of our control and the shareholder base and, and somebody came knocking on our door to buy us mm. so prematurely that we didn't take them seriously and then we ultimately did and then we got sucked into the process and then we lost time and you know we could go on so some things are outside of our control that we probably could have been smarter about it other mm. things we, we we maybe didn't do terribly intelligently maybe in hindsight I wouldn't have built a factory again you know mm. here in here in, in, in the UK in 87 nobody had a, a fresh soup factory we were the first ones to put it in a carton so mm. we didn't have a choice had to do it um, ourselves. We could have outsourced. We could have found somebody to do it, actually. Not many, but was one or two out there. We could have done it that way. But I felt that it was my decision. I felt we should keep it in-house and you know keep, keep it under wraps. Keep, keep, it's, it's a barrier to entry for others. Maybe in hindsight, it wasn't such a barrier to entry. And it ended up being more of a millstone around our neck that we mm. could have got on. Because really, when you're building a, a business like that, you're doing two things at the same time. You're building a manufacturing business and a branding business. Mm. Yeah, you're putting them together. And we did that in the soup and it worked, New Cover Garden and it worked. But mm. it's a lot of effort to try to build both at the same time. Mm. And if you get away from that, and then, you know, Little Dish was all outsourced in terms of manufacturing. We, we found excellent manufacturing par uh, partners who could do that for us. Mm. So maybe that was something I could have and should have done in the States. But, think, you know, listen, you'll spend all your time sitting here, could have, should have, would have, and you better just move on, really. Yeah, but I, I think it's a really, um, I'm really grateful you brought up the story because a lot of our audience, they're, they're, they're suffering right now um, and some businesses have failed. And, and to your point, uh, it's a lot of it is out of people's control. It, it, you know, not, COVID has affected businesses in all sorts yeah. of ways, um, you know, some good, but, but mostly bad. And so I think your stories is quite important right now for people because I think, um, you know, a lot of people are, they, how did you get back up? You know, when you had that failure, and, and, and like you say, I've been there too, you have that reflection, like, was my last business a success? Was that all luck? Or, you know, have I got an ability? You know, and you have that doubt. But how did you get back up? Did you just get back on the horse and not think about it? Or did you have an idea that grasped you? Or how, or how did it happen? 
I mean, emotionally, I got back up. Emotionally, I put it behind me and and, and decided to move on. But it took quite a while. I mean, I didn't have a new idea. You know, you, you can't force new ideas to kind of, you know, come out of nowhere. So I, I was, like I said, I was moving back from the States. In fact, I think that was a good distraction because I moved from the States back, having spent four and a half, five years in, in California, uh, to, to, to Germany, yeah? my, uh, Munich. My wife is German and we moved back to Germany. I've been living here ever since, 2003. So it's quite a while ago. So, you know, home is here now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a big, you know, a big culture shock and change and language and all the rest. But so it was a distraction. And I, I, in hindsight, of course, again, I found that was a good distraction. But it took me a good two years to figure out what exactly I wanted to do next. I, I was very clear in my own mind I was going to set another business. Mm-hmm. Frankly, on, on one level, what else do I know? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I came straight out of university, did you come by, went to the stage. <laughs> I know really is, is, is this sort of thing. But I've never worked for anybody, apart from sure. So, you know, all of that is really important to, to recognize that they're my So I had to find a new idea. I had to find a new uh, entity. And that took a good two years. Um, and don't forget, I was living in Munich, so and and, and I couldn't speak German at the time. So I wasn't going to set up a business straight away in, in, in Germany. So looking at what was happening, there's a lot of entrepreneurship, a lot of startups, a lot of new business ideas in, 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 uh, in the UK and Ireland. We kind of lead entrepreneurship in the food and drink space, uh, in perspective anyway. And um, it was right about the time when, when, when Jamie Oliver, if you think back to 2006 or so, Jamie Oliver was making his first crusade into um, feeding the nation and, and improving the health of the nation, in particular, improving the quality of meals for, for, for school, school-going kids. So you'd have you know, people sitting in pubs having a chat. They didn't have any kids themselves talking about kids and dinners and food, you know, which was unheard of. So it was a very topical issue. Uh, and at the same time, I was figuring out, I wonder, is there an opportunity to, to develop a range of products that are specifically designed for kids? And what does that mean? Like what age kids? Babies? No, but toddlers, maybe. And I met my I met my business partner, Hillary, who was having the same conversation with herself about there's, there's an opportunity here. And together, and of course, you know, being in a co-founder situation, it's always better because you reinforce your, 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 your views and your attitudes and you can challenge and you can, and you can check back and forth. You can make sure that that, that they, you know, you're, you're helping each other. So it's a great way to bounce ideas off each other. Um, and that's how it came about. So Little Dish was born out of, you know, it's the right place at the right time. There's a need. Uh, we, we were always questioning what, how big the need is, like back to my, my third point, you know, how, how scalable is it? Uh, we were told by lots of people that, 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 oh, kids will just eat adult food. Why do they have to have specially designed food? But the insight we had to the consumer base was that, no, we would love, we'd love some proper, properly designed, you know, healthy, low sugar, low salt, proper provenance, no additives, fresh, all those sort of things that are really important back then and that really are still important now. So, so that's, what, that's what happened. I mean, many more things besides, but that was the, that was the essence of Little Dish and how it, became, how it came about and why I really wanted to do something new and, and why we decided on that particular, that particular product area. That's amazing, really. Did, did you, um, was, was the investment side an easy transition for you? Did, I mean, how did you, what was your first investment and, and how did it play out? How did you get into that space? Yeah, sort of in a way, you might say it's kind of, you know, poacher turned gamekeeper, isn't it really? I'm mean, going from one side of the table, the entrepreneur side to the other side, the investor side. But, but I've always taken a very practical view. And I, I don't think certain people think, oh, taking on investors, particularly taking on private equity, oh, that's very, you know, dangerous. They'll, they just want to take control of your business. Well, well, actually, they don't. They, they, they don't want control of your business. They want a few checks and balances. 
because uh, they're giving you, you know, loads of money. Wouldn't you want control to a certain extent? But they don't want to run your business because they got no idea. In fact, that's why they that's why they need you to run the business. Um, so, so you know, we, we have private equity and venture capital at Newcomer Garden and, and and in the states and at Little Dish as well. So I was kind of familiar with that whole thing. Um, and, and I always kind of thought that, well, one of the things you need to do if you're bringing shareholders on board is try to align everybody's interests as much as you possibly can. There are always going to be decisions at some point down the line, typically at exit, actually, but at some point down the line where, where you kind of, you know, you've, you've got different interests. But, but frankly, part of your role, as part of your job as an entrepreneur, I think, is to bring all these interests together and have everybody motivated to achieve more or less the same thing. So if you approach it like that, then, then it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more, you know, it's a lot easier to manage. And so I, so it was a natural stepping stone for me, really, in terms of moving, moving into becoming, be, becoming an investor. But the other thing Simon's mentioned is that it's, it, you know, I'm not just an investor that says, here's my cash, you know, call me up whenever there's a dividend to pay or whenever you're exiting, I want to add value. And so, so I, I like to invest in businesses where I think I can contribute something. So I typically take a seat on the, not always, but typically say, take a seat on the board and contribute as a non-executive through that in, in some sort of value added way. And that's one of the reasons why I've always continued to invest in the food and drink space, because the area I know best, you know, um, not just the area, but in terms of setting up building brands and selling them through retail or through direct uh, to consumer is something I, you know, I've done myself. So, so I feel like I've something to contribute. Mm. And, 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 and so, you know, maybe investing is just like a, a further step after becoming an advisor or a mentor. And, mm. you know, actually it's not a huge step to becoming an investor as well. And I think to answer your other question, the first one I think I can't remember now was Nixon Kicks, maybe about three years ago. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm hopeless on dates, probably three, maybe three, maybe four years ago, something like that. Nixon Kicks followed by Capsicana. And the more recent one um, in, in St. Grain was was uh, was just this year, during, during lockdown, believe it or not. Mm. Um, but the great thing about it is new ideas and new entrepreneurs and new ways of doing things are coming over the hill all the time. Mm. And I'm deeply they are motivated, inspired by that. I, you know, like I said earlier, I don't know all the answers. In fact, I love to learn, and mm. I love to learn from you guys uh, with, with new ways of doing things. Mm. That's the essence of entrepreneur. It's not doing, not, not, it's not putting soup in a can, and actually, it's probably not putting soup in a carton anymore now because that's already thirty years old, you know. So uh, it's it's great to be part of that sort of ecosystem where I can contribute but also learn and, and play different roles. And being an investor is just one of those roles, frankly, Simon. Mm, totally. Well, and um, we have Leslie waiting for us in the waiting room. Uh, our next entrepreneurial guest will be joining us in just a moment. Leslie, thank you for your patience. I've got quite a lot of questions coming in for you. Uh, I wonder if um, John would just try to answer a few of them before we bring Leslie in. Sure. A, a lot of people are asking about um, that they need a mentor, um, and, and a lot of people want want a mentor. Um, and, and you mentioned in your bio that you do mentor. How does it work for you mentoring? And if people want to get mentored, do you have any recommendations of, of how they get that? Let me answer that last bit first because I, I find that interesting. When I, when I was asked it for the first time, and I caught crikey, I don't know. Let me think. Um, and, and I have thought about it since then. And, and the first thing to say is I never had a mentor. And I, years later, regretted it because I kind of thought, why did I take it all upon myself? So, uh, you know, I, I somehow figured out that, that I, well, I, I somehow thought that I needed to figure out everything myself. You know, I, I was the entrepreneur. Okay, Andrew and myself were the entrepreneurs. We were the ones setting up the business, so we needed to have all the answers. Well, that's pretty silly, really, because starting off, we had none of the answers. We went about answering some of the questions, all right, but 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 it would have been a lot easier to to ask somebody some help. Um, of course, then you need to 
to, to take the advice, right? So it's all right, it's all right listening to advice, but you need to actually act on the advice as well. And I'm not sure back then if I would have I would have even done that. But I think not getting a mentor on board was a mistake. And I would I would urge people to do that. I'm not saying surround yourself by ten with, with ten mentors, five mentors. I mean you probably need one, right? To start with. Um, and I think there's a difference between a mentor and an advisor. Um, um, an advisor tends to advise the business while a mentor tends to help the entrepreneur. And I know there's a subtle difference, but I've figured this out by trying to do both <laughs> at times. And there is a subtle difference, but actually it's quite an important one. And sometimes in the relationship, you can start off being the advisor to the business. And then you realize actually the, the, the entrepreneur needs some mentoring here. You kind of shuffle out and pull around and readjust and spend some time mentoring. And then later you might, when the, when the business kicks off again, it needs a, a different resource. You might become an advisor again. Mm. Um, so, so, so I have a very fluid approach to it, as you can tell. It's like a very kind of, it depends what the role is and who needs it and what, what the gaps are, what stages are at in their journey. Um, and and I, 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 I kind of mentor some of the entrepreneurs in the businesses that I advise or even some of the businesses that, that I invest in. So I think it's quite a fluid, quite a fluid thing. But mm. in, any, in any event, I think it's a really good idea. Having yeah, a I think it's a really yeah. good idea too. And I mean, the, last thing add, the last thing I'd say, Sam, very quickly is get a mentor. No, sorry, sorry, but this bit is important actually. Get a mentor who, who's been there, be there before. So ideally get a mentor who's been an entrepreneur. So because the, they get it, they, they, they speak your language. They know the, the, frankly, they know the shit you're going through, right? Because you go through a lot of that and they know the pressures and they know that, that they've been there. Different business, different time, all the rest of it. But a lot of it is, dealing with pressures you never felt you were any way qualified to deal with. And, and you're thinking, how did I ever get here? And, yeah. and, and if, uh, if somebody set up their own business and being an entrepreneur themselves, that's a great benefit. You can, you can definitely um, leverage that and lean on that. Yeah. I mean, you, you, um, I, I, normally on these podcasts, I have to talk a lot, but not today. I just let you talk because you're basically saying all the things that I, I know are true. Um, I mean, I would add as well to your point uh, for listeners that, I think you should get a mentor, ideally someone that you you know you wouldn't mind having their life. You know, sometimes I see people mentoring that you know uh, and in life that people wouldn't want. You know, and so <laughs> is that someone you respect, and is that lifestyle you'd like to end up with? Um, if you follow their advice, it's likely you will end up with with whatever their lifestyle is. So make sure that's what you want. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think mentoring as well. A lot of people do just throw emails around like on LinkedIn, like please be my mentor without any sort of context. And, and mentorship is is a big deal for for you, John, as a mentor. I, I, you, you give your time to someone; it becomes very personal. I, I become friends with the people I mentor. So yeah. I always tell people, you know, date first. You know, ask a few questions of that particular <laughs> mentor, and, and you know, just you know, have a, like a chat. If you straight in with like, let's get married and have babies, you. Uh, you know, it's it's not easy for people to just say yes to mentoring people. It's it's a big commitment. So just take your time and get to know each other and 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 you know and see it as a like a friendship, or like a relationship, because that's what it's like, right? Mentoring someone. That's a great that's a great bill, Simon. That's so true. It's so true. I mean, I, I think number one, you, you have to figure out what it is you want. And and I know at times you, you, it's difficult to know what you want. You don't really know what you want. You just want everything, or you want help, or you want so. So tell me what I should need is often a very obvious question, which is kind of difficult to answer. But but then you get into it, right? Yeah. But but it's kind of like okay, so 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 what do I need, and can you add it? Uh, can you give it? You know. Yeah. Um, so I need to feel I need to feel two things. I need to feel I can add value. There's not much point in doing it if I can't. And I need to feel I have the time to do it properly, to do it justice. That's and nice. if I feel those two things are in place, then we'll see what the chemistry is like and see what everything else that you just described is like. But you do need to have a few conversations. And in these days of lockdown or whatever, it's, it's, it's more it's tricky. to mm -hmm. I mean, it's easier to build a relationship face-to-face -face more quickly. 
you can clearly have sessions online and I spent the whole year doing it. Mm. But, but, but to get to know that person, as you describe, it's maybe easier to do that face to face. But, you know, we find ways around that, too. And technology helps. So, sure. Totally, yeah, totally. Well, um, there's loads more questions coming in for you, but I'm, I'm, I feel bad. Leslie's waiting for us. So let, let's bring her in and, uh, and see how she is. Hey there, Leslie. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing that typical Zoom thing. You're on mute. We can't hear you. <laughs> um, thank you. I really enjoyed listening, listening in from the the wings, and that um, that quote, uh, "Success is a lousy uh, teacher," is going to stay with me. So I enjoyed that. Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad it made sense, Leslie. Well, <laughs> to have you here, uh, Leslie, and and I I'm, I'd like it if you don't mind just starting off by telling the audience a little bit about. Um, I love your uh, company, Over the Bloody Moon. Um, I want to say it with uh, with attitude. Uh, what, what you and your business is all about. Absolutely. Um, so we are a community and organization that helps women, their family and colleagues through perimenopause. Do you know what perimenopause is? I had to go on mute because my dog's barking. So um, I, I'm, I'm going to say no and then hand over to John. <laughs> well, that's so that, that's so typically you, Simon. Drop me in it. Um, well, okay, listen, I, I, I feel completely unqualified to comment on this especially with an expert uh, on the panel but i think it's having a menopause much earlier than you than that you would otherwise have it is is that right it, it, it's not correct um okay. but you're not alone because um around 55 percent of women don't know the the term so um it's the stage before menopause um where women tend to get the majority of symptoms and it can last for around seven years so um a lot of what we do at over the bloody moon is around education and advocacy um because women aren't aware of joining the dots i suppose between what's going on in their their, their life um, and hormones hmm. so right. what, what does the business actually uh what, how does it work what what's the business model so um, uh, we have a B2C and a B2B model. Um, the B2C is, um, so basically we've identified different uh, customers and they have different needs. So for women that aren't uh, very aware or are starting to notice that they have symptoms, we run masterclasses with experts who across all different aspects of physical, mental, um, uh, cognitive and emotional health. And those are one hour Zoom sessions. Um, and then um, it's also really confusing for women to work out um, how to uh, thrive at this time of life. Um, th there is a lot of information online, but it's confusing. Um, uh, it's uh, a lot of it is an evidence based, which means it, it hasn't been proven um, in terms of, of the tools. So another aspect of what we do is uh, a self-care hub called the house and the house is themed rooms and it allows women to go and learn and pick up information around all aspects like nutrition um, movement um, uh, alternative uh, functional medicine um, and so they can go into those rooms and uh, get uh, watch films download resources and find ways to help themselves um, so yeah, so masterclasses, self-care platform, and then we do corporate work as well. Um, a lot of those um, people sitting in the audiences aren't aware 
also about perimenopause. So we help cultivate a conversation and break down the taboo in the workplace, which is, is really important. So women get the support that they need at this time. I, 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 I guess it's interesting to understand how did you end up doing this, Leslie? What, what's, what's the story? Yeah, so, uh, well, my, my story is a tale of, of being lost and found. I mean, it starts a couple of years ago, uh, probably this time two years ago, when I came off the pill. Um, I wanted to kind of see where I was. Um, uh, and um, what I didn't realise was that the result of that was would bring me straight into um, perimenopause. Um, the What subsequently followed was me feeling not myself um, starting to feel quite anxious not sleeping well getting these weird flushes in the day and also at the night um, and it really took me um, around six months to to work out what was going on um, and a, a lot of appointments with the doctor um, who at the time suggested that I go on antidepressants and I, I just felt that that was the wrong decision. Um, so I went away, my background is, is market research and innovation. So I'm a research geek and I love to kind of, you know, go and, and find out about um, information um, and, and data. And, and what I found was, as I said, it was kind of, you know, really, really muddy um, and very, very time consuming. And I thought if I'm trained in skills and understanding um, how to, to get information and validate it, validate it, must be very difficult for other women. So, um, so that was the beginning of, of the story of realizing um, that there, you know, that I perhaps I wasn't alone. So I started to reach out on forums um, and talk to, to other women that were going through um, what I was going through, um, not just in the UK but around the world. So I realized that this was kind of you know a global issue, that that many women are unsupported in the um, by the healthcare professionals. Um, partly that's you know um, women not wanting to go and talk to doctors. So actually um, around 40% of women never go and see a doctor, they just use um, online resources instead. Um, so uh, so I identified that there was kind of this issue um, and then I what kind of followed was was a, a journey really of understanding how big a problem it was where um, how I could help um, and of course my background isn't medical so it was very important listening to you talking about mentors and advisors it was very important for me quickly on to build um, uh, 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 um, something I've, I've inherited actually from one of my executive coach advisors, the board you can't afford. And it means that, you know, those people are so precious and valuable. Um, you know, if I ask for their daily rates, there's no way that I would be able to work with them. Um, but they are um, uh, women uh, who are um, across lots of different health disciplines um, that that bring um, education and understanding about what women um, need. Um, and I also have um, a, a range of different advisors um, on a personal level that kind of, you know, coach me. So, um, so, so that's been, you know, that's been really helpful. And just to kind of, you know, sum up in terms of, I, I, I registered over the Bloody Moon a year ago, and if I was to chunk down how I've spent my time, the first three months was really looking at the market landscape. Um, 
talking to users, understanding what the problem was um, before even starting to think about what the solution would be. And I think that's really difficult. It was difficult for me because I like to jump straight in. So I really had to kind of take a step um, back. Um, then I needed to educate myself in, in this uh, you know, area of menopause, which um, I, I obviously have personal experience, but I didn't understand um, all of the complexities. So the next three months was doing like a, a, a dissertation. And I, I, I spoke to, well, I stopped counting at around 60 different clinicians, um, but I tried to speak to a variety of different women's wellness practitioners and understand all of the different aspects that women are, are facing that I got from my user research. Um, and from that, um, I transcripted all my, uh, my, my stakeholder interviews, liaised with my resident advisors, my board, um, and pulled together, started to pilot some programs. Um, uh, actually, this the pilot began just before lockdown. So I was meeting with women, testing out early content. Um, and the plan was to create um, a, a model that was going to be community-based and, uh, you know, face-to-face -face almost chapters around the UK. So I had to quickly pivot um, and think about moving online. And uh, so consequently from that, I, I moved on to a Zoom format and uh, and that's where the Take Charge of Change program was, was born, um, a six-week program that um, covers the different spectrums of health and women love it because they're going through the program together. It's a small group um, and, uh, and they're learning and sharing experiences. So it's not just about what's going on in my body, it's about I'm not feeling, I'm not going mad, I'm not isolated anymore I'm not feeling lonely and um, and that's what I've realized is it's it's interesting with over the bloody moon because I suppose um, what I represent is the ordinary woman someone that is going through perimenopause and um, some women are put off by going to see a doctor because they feel the only option for them is medical is HRT and antidepressants which they might not um, they might not want or at least at the beginning might not have enough information to make that decision so um, and, and there's also something not um, and and of course there's a very important part to play for HRT because it does bring um, women up to a position of strength for those um, that, that need it and can take it but for other um, women or even in conjunction with HRT we want to have tools that empower us um, that that we have our inner resources and over the bloody moon facilitates women to, and gives them a, a team with our experts and also a toolkit a very broad toolkit to dip into and to be experimental so in many ways uh, the journey of being an entrepreneur is a bit little bit like that for our members in that they are experimenting um they're you know um, and embracing change you know they're used to that that place of change mm. yeah i mean i, I i'll uh, be honest as a as a guy i'm suddenly feeling a bit like the trump white house you know like we're <laughs> listening to a subject that i don't think we truly understand um but we understand business so i'm always like how can we help you with the business side i think that the subject matter is really fascinating and i would just say that you know um well first of all you're getting a lot of love on tiktok mm. right now for your brand name um people people are loving it i think because it's it sounds so positive about quite a serious subject. And I think sometimes you do need to bring some lighthearted feeling to such an important subject, right? So, so good on you. I hope you trademark that because that that's quite uh, it's a good it's a good brand name. Yeah. I think um, 
you know, I, I, uh, I, I had a little bit of experience with, with the menopause cycle with my mother because my mother kicked me out of home at 15 and, and, um, and, and we had a big, big argument. And, and, and now I realize in part that she was going through the menopause. And, and, and so she was a different person uh, to, to the mother who had loved me from zero to 15. So, so it can affect, frankly, it can affect kids. It can affect, um, you know, if, if my wife's going through it and I don't understand it, I think guys should be brought more into the conversation is part of what I'm saying. Because I think a lot, of, a lot of guys, you know, I can completely understand how women don't want to go to the doctor and talk about it. And guys don't even know how to talk about it uh, with their partners or, or people in their lives. Like I, I had no idea with my mother how to talk about it. She didn't know how to talk about it. And, and we didn't talk for 10 years because of it, you know, and I was homeless for five days because of it, you know, like it, it can really, it can really affect things. You're, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, it, it's not talked about enough. Um, it, it is the largest underserved health issue in the 21st century and it's not niche so around the world a billion women by 2025 are going to be going through perimenopause or postmenopause and every year 30 million women globally go through this and and it's not just about you know we tend to think about it but about the physical symptoms but as you say it's it's kind of you know it has this huge impact um and in fact what i'm seeing because i'm on the front line with my community um is the impact that covid and perimenopause is having on mental health and there is not a day that doesn't go by where I don't have a phone call or distressing you know dms from women where I need to signpost them um so it's a huge it's a huge issue um and and yeah and it affects all of us which is why uh, over the bloody moon we don't just focus on women we also do classes for partners and for mums with their teens because we think it's important to for them also to know how to navigate this and understand what what a woman is going through yeah well thank you for doing what you're doing and um i wish i wish you'd been around 25 years ago when i fell out with my mother she, she definitely someone um but i mean uh, Going forward on the business side, I mean, I'm hoping that you tell me that John has uh, food in his food portfolio that could help. Um, <laughs> or, or let us know, you know, what, what, what struggles you're having and, and anything we can do maybe to advise you or anyone listening can can and can do to help you uh, with, with the business. Is there anything we can do to support you? Yeah, abs absolutely. So um, so I, I really, the f you know, this first year has been very much about understanding the market, understanding my users and testing um, before um, putting out my, my products. Um, I do have a team um, of my advisors um, and and also the the health experts, um, but uh, and I do also um, something I've learnt is how amazing um, volunteers are as a resource. So I'm kind of you know tapping into that, but uh, I'm constantly asking myself: Am I am I trying? Am I spreading myself too thin? Um, my my vision is to be. Um, you know, a global destination for perimenopause, um, or at least succeed in the UK um, with my services. And currently, if you go onto my website, you can see, you know, all the different things that I, I am doing. And I, I also have health coaches that support me with that. But looking back on your careers when you were in the early stages, would you say it is better to focus on one thing first and do that right? Or is it good to dream big if that's what your mission is? Wow. 
That's a great question. Um, well, I think all of the above, right? Really, let me let me take it in pieces. First of all, you got you, you got to dream big because because if you don't dream big, you never you never you never win small. You so you you have to dream big. I just mean to say you you have to go all out, all crazy on day one. But you know, I think entrepreneurs can be accused of, of dreaming a, a bit too big at times. But, but I don't think that I don't think that matters, or I don't think I actually think it it exists, right? So so definitely dream big. Um, then when you're trying to achieve this dream, try to get up into bite-sized chunks. Actually, one of the things you said in your in your preamble was that that, that you're, 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 you 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 might be spreading yourself too thin. I mean, the very you know, you almost certainly are not knowing anything about you. You almost certainly are because that's what entrepreneurs do, right? And you seem to be quite an ambitious and successful entrepreneur. So you almost certainly are. And the fact that you even asked yourself the question is another. <laughs> so so you are. Um, and but 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 that's okay. Uh, you will burn yourself out if you carry on doing that. So you have to, you have to find a solution to that. And I, I think it's back to what I was just about to say, which is try to deal with this elephant in bite-sized chunks and break it down and have a plan. And this sounds really obvious, but but mm. but, but it's amazing that we don't have a plan because it gets, gets stuck into it. They're so emotionally involved with it. It's a vocation almost rather than a, than a, than a business at times. And, and you, you know, like I said earlier about New Covent Garden, you've got a tiger by the tail or, you, or you're just so consumed because it's like you just see so many needs out there and, Pandemic has come and has kind of accelerated the need. I get it. It's happening in so many different different walks of life. Um, but there's only one of you. So you have to figure out, okay, what can I do myself that's going to be more productive? So have a plan and break it down into bite-sized chunks. So that so I focus on delivering um, pieces of it and then bring a team around to, to, to back you up. So you can't you can only work whatever it is, 18 hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you can't do that seven days a week or you will burn out. But I think the point about really is the second piece of your question was. Is, is, is you do things exclusively or, 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 or I wouldn't say it's either exclusively or a big plan or a big dream. Have your big dream, but you're never implemented if you don't, if you try to do it all together and you do need to break it down into bite-sized chunks and do one thing properly at a time. Um, so you, so you, what is your business plan? What is your, what are you trying to achieve this year? What, well, three-year plan, one-year plan, 12 months, you know, down to a weekly basis. What is you trying to achieve? And really stick to the knitting. It sounds boring when you have a big dream, Mm. But you'll never, never realise the dream otherwise. Or otherwise, even mm. if you have, even if you have an army of people to help you, and don't forget, when you do have an army of people to help you, you're, 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 you're um, the things you have to do double. Actually, you're actually doing less, but you're, you're, you're directing and delegating more. It's like you've got this team on board, and you want to bring a whole bunch of self-starters onto your team. And guess what? Self-starters do. They self-start. Mm. But, but they go in all sorts of different directions all at the same time. So you need to spend quite a bit of your time providing a direction for these guys to go in the, in, the, in the direction you want them to go in, which is where the business is going. And of course, they will help with this and help with strategy and come up with ideas. But you ultimately have to make a whole bunch of decisions. So you're going to be doing less of the doing and doing more of the direction. So, mm -hmm. so it never gets easier. It, it's not like, okay, that's now done. Phew, what a relief. No, it's on to the next thing, which is even bigger. So you have to be okay resilient, but you also have to have a team and you have to have a plan. Otherwise, you will go around in circles. Um, and mm -hmm. I know from experience. We did this at Super times at Newcomen Garden as well. The early few years, there were it was a crazy white knuckle ride. It was it was fantastic. It was so exciting, but crikey, it was so it was so exhausting. And and, and we could have made life easier for ourselves. So, so so I think yeah, you do need to you do need to have a plan. You do need to be able to focus on one thing at a time, get it right, and move on. Mm -mm. Yeah, no, that, that, that's really helpful. And I think particularly going into the new year, breaking everything down into kind of, you know, quarters at least. Um, that, that's great. Um, 
I was interested hearing your story as well about um, you know finding your co-founder. How how did that happen? Um, I'm you know really desperate to have a sort of you know someone alongside me. Um, I in the three businesses I I was involved there I set up I I was as a co-founder each time uh, three three different people uh, probably for three different reasons um, and how did I find them wrong place at the wrong time Leslie I can't think of any other place. <laughs> Um, I mean, joking aside, it was a bit of serendipity. Um, there, there always is. Um, I would highly recommend it. I mean, I was involved as a co-founder for different reasons each time, but it's a great place to be if you're trying. It's a very lonely place to be as an entrepreneur. It's still a very lonely place to be as as a as a as a co-founder entrepreneur. But at least you got somebody else to bounce your ideas off. And there were there were disagreements at times, but they're likely to be. In the minority, and and so you could definitely break down that loneliness and be able to bounce ideas off, and and you know even either you want to have complementary skills to yourself, so somebody who does things well that you don't do well or like doing or whatever, or you want to have another woman who really understands the market, or you might want to have a man who 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 doesn't understand the market but understands something else. So it's like it's 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 there's no there there is no right or wrong here. So uh, but I think really it's a question of complementary skills. Mm. So, but, but but when you get past the skills, and someone would well, almost certainly agree with this, but it's all about the chemistry because you're gonna. It's like you know, someone used the analogy earlier of a mentor being you know being like a friendship or being in a relationship. Well, a co-founder is even more of a relationship than than than, than anything else. So you do go through some very difficult times, and, you, and sometimes can be very stressful. And and so you need to be able to you know you don't have to be best friends, best buddies to the person. But you do need to get on with them and and work with them and, and and be able to get the best out of the team as a result of that. So 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 skills and and experiences are so important. But uh, but chemistry, mm. I, I don't think they can make up for chemistry actually. It's a yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll add to what John said. Um, I actually married my my co-founder in in my business Fluid, which is the business I sold to PwC. I, I actually married my co-founder. Um, so it, it definitely, um, we started out working together and, you know, it's such an intense experience building a business together. Um, you know, if you, if you get on, it can lead to marriage. Um, now, I, I, guess, uh, I, I would say um, you can also go and find a co-founder. I mean, it doesn't always have to fall in your lap. It's like hiring people in my mind. If you write down very clearly what you need, like John just explained, is, is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it someone that... You know, maybe knows the medical side or, or, or knows the technical side or what you know what do you feel that you're missing to achieve that big goal and and maybe I, I will say to people who are looking for a cow founder maybe look at it initially as hiring someone for a job but then you get on so well and they can add so much value to what you're doing that frankly giving them 50% of the platform will just make the platform four times bigger right so it doesn't it doesn't have to be a big deal uh, and i was fine that if you know if you get on with someone and, and you like them and you need each other those are the first two steps to like any deal getting done so if you if you could get those two things in in line that being said again i agree with what john said i think i think sometimes you know uh co-founder can come with its own issues just like you know being married um you know it, it, there's something to be said about being single and and being able to just jump on a plane and go and do something if you want to do it and not have to debate it and you know there is some strength um i know a lot of investors out there only invest in in in, in, in co-founders two, two founders but I, I personally don't i i think sometimes it could be a strength to, to just be able to make decisions on your own but to john's point you just need people around you that will support you 
um, and, and that, I think that can, can solve it. I also wanted to quickly say to you, Leslie, about the previous point about um, you know building up uh, the business and doing too many things at once. It is a real dilemma, but sometimes the way I best explain my thinking on this is like, any business is like moving a, um, an enormous mountain and to move an enormous mountain you have to move one small rock at a time a japanese saying right so so i think you know in a way you've got to have that big crazy idea in front of you and then figure out what the small rocks are and often that's daily weekly monthly and what i've always done is i've said right if, if this small rock has to be moved regularly and it's the same type of rock i'll learn how to do it and then i'll hire someone to move the rest of them um so, so it kind of it allows you to uh, move on to the other types of rocks need moving um that might require different types of engineering i'm going way too far with this analogy now but <laughs> you get what i mean right i love that yes yeah 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 no, that's yeah. brilliant yeah. let me build on that i really like that too but i'll, I'll literally take 10 seconds on this is that I, i'm trying to get into the discipline of lifting the rocks that you hate lifting because yeah. what yeah. happens is you'll you'll lift the rocks you like lifting you know because you like doing it you go back and you, you're making great progress but i'm stepping over all these other rocks to get to the ones oh, that one there i, I, I lift that one no problem deal with the ones more frequently that they don't like to deal with. And funny enough, you'll end up being better at that mm. and, you, and you make better progress because nothing mm. worse than making progress and then looking behind you and it's literally all sorts of problems you haven't dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one word of warning, I mean, out of all the businesses that I've seen, the mistake I've seen, the biggest problem with an entrepreneur, and we all, like John said, and you know, Leslie, we all end up doing so many things as an entrepreneur. We can't help ourselves. We're filling all the gaps. Now, whether that's cleaning the toilets because the cleaner didn't turn up today. So, okay, we're going to do it, right? Whatever it is. But I think the one mistake I see that you don't want to fall into is, um, and I saw this yesterday of an entrepreneur, he, he has six businesses. Now the backend structure, all the, all the technology is the same, but he has six different client profiles and he's going insane, jumping in and out of those different profiles. So, so I think, you know, you can do lots of different things within a business. Maybe it's a webinar, maybe as, as you said earlier, it's a consultation, it's this, it's that. As long as it's the same client, mm. I, th I think that's the that's the key. Who's and, and John said it in his talking about his business earlier. It's so true. You know, look, who is your client? Work towards helping that client. And I think the good thing about your your business is it's pretty clear who they are, um, whether or not they know they're your client or not. That's probably mm. a different problem. But but yeah, I think that's the only time you go insane if you try to um, service too many clients at once. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it's what I've been working hard on is kind of, you know, honing down what that one, you know, universal need is. And then there might be different ways in which to kind of, you know, serve that depending on people's preferences. But yeah, that, that's fantastic. I love the, the rock analogy as well. It's going to stay with me. I've already got lots of things that I'm going to carry, carry away today. Have I got time for another question? Of course, sure. Um, so, um, what one of one of the things that I am uh, sort of, you know, I suppose keeps me awake at night is that um, this is an, a new market. It's an emerging market. Um, uh, it's not like uh, I mean, it's very much blue ocean in terms of uh, well, in some ways there's not even the competitors necessarily to kind of copy and then disrupt because um, it doesn't really exist in the way that I, I have it in my mind anyway. Um, but, you know, 25% of my potential audience don't even know that they have a problem ahead of them that's just around the corner. Um, and I just wondered in your businesses if you had ever encountered that um, and whether you've got advice in terms of how you might awaken an unmet need. Mm. Right. 
John, John, there's, there's a similarity here, which I'll explain just a little bit. Uh, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, in any way to, to claim that you know the insight into fresh soup is very is, is similar to the insight to your audience. But 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 there there is an advantage. It's kind of a two-edged sword, is what I'm saying. There's an advantage to generating a new category or doing something different or meeting the need of a group that's never been met before. Um, in that there's no competition to start with. So, and this, this was the case with New Covent Garden, there's no competition in Fresh Soup. So we could kind of do what we wanted. We didn't have to be looking over our shoulder at competition. Then we ultimately came when we, when, we, when we proved the market sufficiently and people took it seriously. But the, the first few years, there was no competition. Um, the, 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 the other edge to the sword is that there was, no, there was no category, so people didn't know what we were talking about. You know, people couldn't say, well, we were saying fresh soup, fresh soup all the time, and people, people weren't getting it. Now, it's a bit weird thinking of that right now, because fresh soup is ubiquitous, and there's so many different versions of it, and it's been around for a hell of a long time. This is like 1987, right? All liquid soup was in a can, like I think I mentioned. So people, if you want liquid soup, they put down the soup aisle. Um, so, so, so there was this issue, and I use this word very carefully, of educating the consumer. Normally, you don't educate the consumer. You, you, you listen to the consumer. But mm. we have to kind of get this across to them. So, so I think there's some similarity. Maybe I'm stretching quite a bit here. You have to kind of educate your consumer that they have an issue that they shouldn't feel like they have to put up with. It's not like just life. It's, it's nothing like it. In fact, there, there's a way to, to feel quite normal uh, without going through all these symptoms um, and, and, and therefore that kind of unmet need. And what I'd say to that is you're so well positioned because you're so authentic. I, I, I talk about authenticity quite a bit, but I think it's served up on a plate to you here because you are living a living, breathing example of, of it. You, 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 you recognized this condition and you've did something about it. So, but but you, you, this whole amount of really deep-seated, deep-rooted, authentic storytelling that you can bring through to your consumer group here by just telling your story, yeah, um, and and you know, I, I remember when we were speaking to 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 audiences about about Little Dish. Now, listen, I could I could I could make a good argument about Little Dish, and and I'd explain to moms why why they should that they should buy Little Dish for their kids. Kids were, were toddlers, but it was so much more authentic coming from my from my from my business partner who was who was a female and was a mother as well, by the way. But she could stand up and, and command an audience of of other moms in a way that I couldn't, even though what I was physically saying was exactly the same. So, so, so you, you, you are absolutely the right person to talk about this, not just because you're a female, but because you're of your experience, because you have an authentic relationship with it. And, and then, you know, I think leverage that, I think leverage that, um, that, that storytelling opportunity to speak about it in a really genuine and, and authentic way. And then allow people to have this aha moment or this kind of like, you know, realization or revelation that it's not just me. I thought, well, I'm going crazy or imagining. No, and there's loads of other people going through this as well. And look what we've done for them. Um, and, and, and you can be part of the community. So I think I think that's the opportunity you've got here. So turn that kind of, you know, sort of uh, maybe disadvantage into an opportunity in that this doesn't exist yet and people don't know what it is. And when I speak about it, it's kind of like I got a lot of blank faces. No, this is this is who you are. And I think mm. you can put that message through to your audience really, really well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, it's interesting as well. I'm thinking about the website because I've been very focused on because my background is branding, you know, building this brand um, and maybe not enough of the the individual. Obviously, um, you know, my members get to see me on my platform and on the workshops that I run. But yeah, that, that, that that's that's good food for thought. <laughs>
I also think there's an element around when you're trying to make people aware of a problem they're not aware of. It's kind of it, this depends on your brand messaging and your brand communications. But I, I, I was just um, I, I'm enjoying TikTok at the moment. I'm, I've got a, a, a bit of a thing going on in TikTok, and um, and a lot of people on TikTok right now are really enjoying what you're doing, Leslie, and and, and loving what your uh, brand stands for and what you're doing. A few people have even said that they they, uh, they they've had problems you're talking about and want to connect to you so oh yes please linkedin leslie salem yeah exactly. yeah I, we'll, we'll connect people to you but but i think what i what i noticed there was a person on linkedin who was um was talking about uh testosterone uh, and how in men as they get older testosterone drops and the symptoms of what that affects now i haven't had those symptoms but the point i'm trying to make is i still listened and was like okay you know Sometimes when you're tired and you don't, you know, you think you're not having enough vitamins, or you've not had enough vitamin D, or maybe you've not had enough exercise, or you've not eaten properly, you know, you look for all the simple things that you think it could be. Mm. And I felt that that um, that explanation in, in TikTok was quite good. It, it wasn't preaching to me. Um, I, I didn't feel I had the problem he was talking about, but he had millions of views on the video, and I think a lot of people are learning by just consuming. You could do stuff like that. Mm. it's not it's not preaching it's just making people aware you know are you feeling these things then maybe this is what's happening and if this is what's happening then you know just comment below and we'll, we'll try to help you figure out whether it is a vitamin d deficiency or whether it, it's, it's something else right so so i think there's um and you can partner up with people there's a, there's a couple of really good people on, on you know influencers that are, are listened to um, from a medical perspective um, I don't want to say any names right now, but you know there are a lot of people out there that are you know medically trained people that are um, able to talk about this subject and have big social media followings, and, and maybe partnering up with those people mm -hmm. could be a good way because all the time people think there's something wrong with them at some point in the year, right? So they're always listening to these medical shows, Doctor Phil, and they're really popular, right? Because people are busy talking about symptoms. I'm like, I think I've got that. So if you can be partnering up with people like that, I think that could help with the um, they're not even aware thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, what I've started to do, Sorry, yeah, please. Just one point on what something that Simon said that really, really resonates with me. I think it's really important. Is 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 not that you would, because I think you understand and you've got empathy with your audience, but don't preach. And 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 the one parallel I use is again going back to back to Little Dish. Is is we we figured out early on that there was a huge kind of guilt complex associated with with with, with giving your kid processed food is what people thought. I mean, it, it is, it, it's a ready meal after all, right? But it's a very good quality ready meal. And it's, yes, yes, it's made in a factory, which is kind of like a big kitchen. So, so, but, but there was a guilt complex is that, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. I should be making my food for my own kid. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad mother if I don't do that, was the, was the attitude. So we, we, we recognized that and we said, okay, that's really important. We, 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 we try and bring that through. But you can be so careful about, because when you start talking about, listen, you really shouldn't feel guilty speaking to the audience and they go who's feeling guilty who are you to tell me about guilt? and we suddenly lost control of the conversation it's like so you don't mention the word guilt at all you don't make you so you don't even go close to preaching so we know what's good for you. we don't even say that look you can cook at home and what you cook for your kid is probably going to be the best solution but every so often if you don't have time here's something that is a convenient alternative that's as far as we could go and that was good enough people got it mm. but we're trying to say don't feel guilty there were certainly who are you to tell us to feel guilty or not feel guilty? And it was like, so you got to be really careful. And I imagine, no idea, but I imagine there might be some sort of issues there too in terms of here's a solution to something that you never realized you had kind of thing. You go, well, how do you get to that conversation actually? Yeah. Probably important. 
You're absolutely right. And that word of, of kind of guilt just immediately doesn't it take you into a negative space. Um, and for, for, for many women, even when they do join the dots, we're kind of asking them to face up to things that they might not you know it's going to be quite painful so one of the one of the things that i have introduced for january particularly as we might be going into tier three and a bit miss um uh, are some some fun classes where people are doing experiences in communities like um, non-alcoholic cocktails um and through that we talk about the benefits of alcohol and introduce the topic of perimenopause i think those kind of areas as well bringing a bit of pleasure and fun so it's not kind of you know all about the the dark side is, is really important that's what our name is all about as well i think i think humor goes so far in subjects like this too you can go viral i think um with kind of over the bloody moon thing you know um and, and, and i I, I, just to throw some crazy ideas out there, I'm sure you've been thinking about this, Leslie, but I'm just uh, your, your idea gets me thinking. I wouldn't rule out working with people like Google on this because they, they, they know people are searching for this sort of knowledge all the time. And if you are an answer to some of that, they could help you. And they do invest in a lot of businesses. They have a venture arm. I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, reaching out to them and seeing if there's a way to partner up um, with this. The other side of the coin um, is, you know, the NHS should be doing what you're doing. This, the, you know, the government should be doing. This could be a, a medical service, right? I, I say that about what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trying to help the unemployed get a job, you know, create one for themselves through self-employment. Right? I, I've often said this actually should be what the government's doing, not creating zombie jobs. But, but you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not confident the government will step up for you or for me. But I still contact them every month with a really well-worded, polite letter telling them what we're doing and, you know, can they take us over and do it or, you know, and I think you have a similar opportunity. I think, you know, that it should be a government service. You know, it should be a medical, you know, uh, NHS service, what you're talking about, in my view. Yeah, in fact, I'm I'm working with, there's, um, there's intermediaries, there's 15 around the country called AS uh hns and they help innovators get into the nhs there's obviously a lot of regulation um mm. involved so um so yes i'm currently talking to to a few of those around the country um which means that some of the services will also have you know um clinical evidence behind you know their impact and hopefully show that there's savings um from a health economics point of view as well yeah that's, that's good that's a really good idea I was going to joke with you as we've got to throw humour in here that um, you know all you need to do now is become an American company and and, and January first um, NHS will be wide open for American companies. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, if if you know anyone, Simon and Google afterwards, I'd love a contact. <laughs> Yeah, I know a few people there, but I don't want to promise anything. But I'm happy okay. to. Okay, no, no, but it's a great thought. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah fantastic. Cool. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. I could keep talking to both of you forever. Um, John, um, you could take over my job anytime and, and be a host of this podcast. So thank you for coming on today. Leslie, love your story. Thank you so much. I was really quite um, touched by your post on LinkedIn, actually, saying I, I apparently was, was uh, someone you, you'd been uh, looking at for a while. So I really appreciate that. And it's lovely to connect with you and what you're doing. Um, I have so much admiration for and, and, and thank you for doing it. Oh, well, well, thank you both. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant um, just listening, John, to your story and then being able to have the opportunity to ask my questions. So thank you. Sure. Well, um, let's stay in touch. And thank you guys for joining today. Pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for organising your time. It's been great fun. Right, guys. Yeah, definitely. See you guys.
That's it for today, folks. I hope you found today's podcast useful, interesting. I want to thank my guests for joining. You could do me a big favor and go to the links below. Give Leslie and John a, a quick hello, even if it's a like on their social media or comment. Of course, I'm sure they'd love your help if you could think of any way to support what both of them are doing. Please buy John's fish pie. That looks absolutely amazing. It's four, almost 4.30 here in England. I haven't had lunch. So every time he showed that soup and that fish on screen, I wanted to eat it. So I'm sure you will too if you see his products. And please reach out if you do want to start a business and need some help. We're here to help you. We never want anything in return. Equally, if you're feeling lonely in your business right now, then make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Every single day, we're here to try and give you free knowledge, connections to a community, and help in any way you need it. And as I say, we don't need anything in return from you guys. We just hope that you do well and maybe in the future pass it forward and be like John and give back and mentor and help and perhaps be like Leslie and start a business with purpose. So thanks again for joining today and uh, please have a wonderful afternoon. I'll see you soon.